You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Three years ago, a man named Bob Tropman died. Now, you may not know that name. <clears throat> Bob Trotman was a Marine who fought in World War II. After the war, he came back to San Francisco, got an education, became a teacher, taught high school students for 38 years. Oh, and he became a coach. He coached high school football. One of his students he would remember was particularly skinny, played quarterback, and stuck in his memory because in a big game, he had a, a, a big moment, kind of a goal line moment. And the kid got creative. He ad-libbed the play, threw the ball, and it was intercepted, changed the tide of the game. Now, that kid's name was Pete Carroll, and you might know that name. When Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick were dragged before the media Friday before the Super Bowl, they were asking all kinds of questions. And one of the questions was about your influences. And Pete Carroll said the person who's had the greatest impact on my coaching is Bob Trotman. He said, uh, I worked so closely with Coach Trotman for many years. I am him. Pete Carroll said he was an extraordinary kind of mentor for me, the kind of guy that I loved. In other words, you you wouldn't get Pete Carroll without Bob Trotman, a mentor. I can't help but think that there was something going on inside of Pete Carroll when he had his recent goal line moment, and we all saw the cameras catch him doubled over in pain and and, and astonishment, you know, that that with... uh, a second down and inches to go, the ball was thrown and intercepted. Somewhere deep down inside Pete Carroll in that moment, he was trying to find, trying to make contact with his mentor, Bob. I just wonder. Mentors have great impact in our lives. Great impact. Studies have shown this. At-risk young adults with mentors are 20% more likely to consider college. more likely to enroll. Employees, workers with mentors are 20% more likely to get raises. Uh, Workers with mentors are promoted five times more often than those without them. And by the way, those of you who are mentors get promoted six times more often. And in marriage, a lot of research there shows that couples with mentors have healthier, happier relationships. Mentors have impact. And so I want to talk to you about mentors today. What is a mentor? Well, the word, the English word mentor, interestingly enough, uh, goes back to Greek mythology. I don't know if you know that. There there was a character named Mentor. Homer tells us about it. Uh, He was an old friend of Odysseus. And when Odysseus goes off to fight the Trojan Wars, he asks his wise friend mentor to take care of his son, uh, Telemachus. 
And uh, moreover, when Athena, the goddess, wanted to appear to Telemachus during those long, hard years and encourage him and help him to grow into his manhood, Athena, the goddess, would appear to Telemachus in the form of Odysseus's friend, Mentor. It's kind of interesting to think about it that way, that a mentor could be an agent of God in someone's life. Who are your mentors? Who would think of you as a mentor? A lot of examples of mentors in the scriptures. The most famous and the ones that come to my mind first are Elijah and Elisha, two ninth century prophets. They spent 10 years together. And at the end of those 10 years of living life together, then Elijah's mantle would fall on Elisha and a double portion of his spirit as well. And Elisha would carry on the ministry that had been Elijah's. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Elisha uh, this afternoon. And, and we'll see an example of what a mentor does for somebody else in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. So in fact, if you brought a Bible, would you open it up, please, to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. Or if you didn't, uh, no problem, pull out the uh, black book in the rack in front of you there, and you'll find uh, our text on page 294. And I'm going to invite you just to remain seated today, and I'll read the text for you, because I want to make a couple of comments. But I hope you'll leave it open. Just by way of introduction, as we come to this, uh, we might ask, what do we know about Elisha? One thing we know is he's associated with a school of prophets who are preparing to become prophets in Bethel. And uh, we also see here in verse 15, he's in relationship with someone that our translation calls a servant, but I want you to know that the Hebrew could equally well be translated young man. Everywhere you see servant here, it could be translated young man. And that's what I'll refer to him as, uh, the mentee of Elisha, a young man. Also in verse 15, he's described with the word attendant in our translation. Sounds a little bit like somebody who would like park cars uh, for Elisha. That's not a good association. Actually, this word attendant is the same word that's used of Joseph in relationship to Pharaoh, Mo, uh, Joshua in relationship to Moses, and it'll be used of Elisha in relationship to Elijah's. So just want you to see here that what we're catching is a snapshot of Elisha, now the one who had been the mentee, becoming the mentor in the life of a, a young man who faces a very challenging moment. So let me read, and as I read, will you look for people who are seeking advice in this story? Let's pick it up in verse 8. Once when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he took counsel with his officers. He said, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, but the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, take care not to pass this place because the Arameans are going down there. Then the king of Israel sent word to the place of which the man of God spoke. More than once or twice he warned such a place so that it was on the alert. The mind of the king of Aram was greatly perturbed because of this. He called his officers and he said to them, Now, tell me who among us sides with the king of Israel. What he's saying there, he pulls his cabinet together, he says, I think we got a mole. 
right? The uh, intelligence apparatus is breaking down, and, and the information keeps uh, seeping out to the enemy. Every time we launch a raid, they're waiting for us in arms. Who sides with the king of Israel? And then one of his officers said, No one, my lord king, it is Elisha, the prophet in Israel, who tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. <laughs> king of Aram said, Go and find where he is. I will send and seize him. King was told, he's in Dothan. So the king sent horses and chariots there and a great army. They came by night and surrounded the city of Dothan. The city of Dothan sits on a hill. The plains now are surrounded by these Arameans, the Syrians. Morning breaks when the attendant of the man of God, that's Elisha's, Mentee, the young man, rose early in the morning and went out to get his Starbucks. An army with horses and chariots uh, was all around the city. His servant, the young man, said, Alas, master, what shall we do? Elisha replied, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Arameans came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, please, with blindness. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha said to them, Oh, uh, excuse me, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. Now, Samaria is the capital city of Israel. This is the time of Israel's history when they're split. The northern ten tribes in one nation, Israel, have a capital city in uh, Samaria. And so Elisha is doing what no one would ever do, leading the enemy forces who are invading right to the capital and bringing them in. This is remarkable. As soon as they entered Samaria, verse 20, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, Father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Elisha answered, No. Did you capture with your sword and with your bow those whom you want to kill? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and let them go to their master. So the king prepared for them a great feast. After they ate and drank, he sent them on their way and they went to their master. And the Arameans no longer came raiding into the land of Israel. What a great story that is. Isn't this wonderful? At the heart of the story, though, hold your Bibles open, please. Verse 17 is what I would call a mentor's prayer. There it is. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. A mentor's prayer. Now, I want to suggest to you, Jesus Christ, your Savior, is praying this prayer for you today. And if you don't get anything out of your hour of worship here at UPC today, I want you to get this, that your Savior is praying this for you in the middle of whatever you're in. You today may feel like life has absolutely surrounded you with hostility. 
and that there's no way through and that you're out of options. You can't see any possibilities that are attractive to you. And in this moment, Jesus prays for you. Lord, open her eyes. Open his eyes that she, he might see more. In this text, everybody's asking the wrong question. If you might think of a goal line moment, I would say that King Aram, the first king, is on uh, defense. He feels he's got a mole, his plans are being foiled, and he gathers his advisors and he says, what shall I do? On the other hand, the king at the end, the king of Israel, would be on offense. He's all of a sudden got his enemies right inside the gate. He's poised to execute them. And he asks Elisha, Father, what shall I do? But it's the wrong question. And we see that in uh, verse 15. If you look at the end of the verse, you'll see that this is the exact question that our young man asks of his mentor, Elisha. He says, alas, master, what shall we do? You understand the question. He's surrounded by hostile enemies. And uh, in the midst of this question, uh, this situation, there's not much hope for him. So what do I do? Do I kill myself? Do I try to kill some of them before they kill me? I, mean, I, I can't even see anything that makes sense. What? But like a good mentor, Elisha will not answer a bad question. And instead, he redirects him to God. He goes to prayer. And he offers this that I call a mentor's prayer. Oh, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Now, what I'd like to do is, is, is take a couple of minutes to talk about exactly what it is that this mentee sees. Two visions, presence and perspective. And then a couple of minutes on how we can be faithful mentors in the lives of other people. So first, how does the Lord answer this prayer uh, for open eyes? And what are these two visions? The first vision he sees here is presence. With open eyes, the mentee sees God's presence in his crisis, in his moment. Verse 16, he says, there are more with us. There are more with us. There are more with us. And I'm reminded of that old story about uh, the Lone Ranger when Lone Ranger and Tonto are surrounded by hostile enemies and Lone Ranger turns to Tonto and he says, Tonto, we're surrounded by Indians. And Tonto says, what do you mean we, pale face? <laughs> right? And Elisha's going, what? More with us? I mean, his mentee's saying, well, more with us? And he's looking, I see you, I see me, and that's it. A cup of coffee, you know, what, what, who, who's with us? But see, when his eyes are open, he realizes this prayer has been addressed not to someone who's far off, but to someone who is near. God is not distant or far above or aloof. God is present in the midst of the crisis. This is God with us. Jesus Christ, my friends, is with you as well. No matter what you're going through today, Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. One of our members who struggled with alcohol loves to tell me this story. He said, you know, Georgia, I had the hardest time believing in Jesus. I, I could believe in God, but I just couldn't believe in Jesus until one Christmas. Somebody said that the name that they gave Jesus, Emmanuel, means simply God with us. 
And then the light bulb went on, and I realized that's who Jesus is. He's God with me in the midst of my struggle with alcohol. And I think you could have said it, and it would have been theologically true that God became an alcoholic in Jesus Christ. He so identifies with our crisis, he steps into the middle of it. God with us right where we are so that he can save us and redeem us and heal us. So when you feel surrounded by life and feel very alone, just know one who's with you is greater than the one who's around you in the world. God plus one is always a majority. Sometimes when we feel threatened, we lose our job, we get sick, we're brokenhearted, we feel very abandoned, alone. At other times when we have great opportunities in front of us, college or promotion or exciting new relationship, we still feel isolated, alone, having to make choices by ourselves. But you're never alone, never alone. Presence. With open eyes, the mentee sees God's presence in the moment. The second vision is this, perspective. With open eyes, the mentee sees God's perspective on the possibilities. He sees what God sees, just for a moment. I don't think Elisha normally saw this, and I don't think this young man could see this in a continuing way. But just for a moment, the veil is taken back, and he's able to see. His eyes are open. And what does he see? He sees horses and chariots of fire. Now, this is interesting to me. He, he sees resources. I don't actually think it's that God has chariots uh, in heaven somewhere. Um, by the way, in the ninth century, the chariot was the uh, uh, a weapon of choice, the offensive weapon of choice. It would be like today our Black Hawk helicopters. You know, this is a moment where this man suddenly it realized he's surrounded by Black Hawk helicopters. If you remember, it's a, he's... Um, what is the, what's the, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the movie now, Search of the Sea, Capricorn One moment. Capricorn, the, all of a sudden the helicopters, helicopters surround you, uh, him. And, and uh, he's been given the opportunity, though, to see that between him and them is another set of Black Hawk helicopters, in other words, chariots. God has the same weapons and more. I think this image is given to him. I think God discloses himself in this way uh, to this young man for two reasons. First of all, to show that whatever your enemies have, all the resources of those who are hostile towards you, I have more resources. See, uh, he can match their uh, adversity with his capacity. And the other thing, uh, more importantly, is I think just to show that um, God has resources that exceed anything that could confront you. These are, these are chariots and horses of fire. <clears throat> what an image to say that uh, there is more potential, there's more possibility around you than you can imagine. God can see a way where there is no way. And that way is always a way of grace. Let me just say that again. God can see a way where there is no way. And that way is always a way of grace. Elisha believes in grace. That's why he has hope. And that's why he can act with such boldness. Do you see what he does? 
Whereas his mentee might not see any possibilities in this moment, Elisha gets an idea. He prays, Lord, would you give them blindness? I think this is metaphorical blindness, not literal blindness, because they could still walk the 11 miles from uh, Dothan to Samaria. It's like the kind of um, open eyes, which were metaphorical open eyes, that the Lord would give this young man in answer to that prayer. But now they, they follow Elisha down to the capital, Samaria. They open the gates, and now the, the enemy of Israel is now inside the capital. And at this point, the king almost loses control. He, he's foaming at the mouth. He says, Father, uh, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And the truth is, there, there isn't a king in the ancient world that wouldn't take the opportunity to kill his opponents in this way, or at least enslave them in a moment like this. But Elisha says, no. Why? Because really this story is not about a king of Aram, and it's not about a king of Israel. It's about a king of heaven. In this moment, Elisha would point us, who know Jesus Christ, to the king of heaven. Elisha points us to grace. He says, I don't want you to kill him. I want you to host him. I want you to throw the biggest party these guys have ever experienced. I want you to bless them. Remember, that's what we're called to do with our enemies. Let's demonstrate the reconciliation of the great king of heaven who's called us as a nation to bless all the other nations. So give them food, give them drink. The king sets before him a great feast. I think this, in this way, we're pointed towards the cross, which is supposed to be a place of death and becomes a place of life. It's supposed to be a place of judgment, becomes a place of forgiveness and grace. See, the point of this, I think, is that Elisha, because he's willing to look at this challenge with God's perspective, believes that grace can take a bad situation and turn it into a good situation. Believes in God's redemptive capacity to make a way where there is no way. With grace. And he'll do that for you too. He'll bring good out of bad in your situation too. But I understand how easy it is to lose perspective in life. We find ourselves in that recurring sin. We've asked for forgiveness so many times. We say to ourselves, here I am again. I guess I'll never change. Or we find ourselves at the end of a broken dream. And we say, here I am at last. I knew it would come to this, and it's too late to do anything different. But I want you to know what Elisha wants this young man to know, and that God has not given up on you yet. In fact, God will never give up on you, and it is never too late to start again. It is never too late to start again. That's a new perspective. Vision uh, number one is presence. Vision number two is perspective. Oh, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. So now we see that the question isn't what shall we do, but really the question, who is with you and what can he do? There's this great scene in the movie Selma. Have you seen, have you seen Selma yet? I hope if you haven't seen it, you will see. It's a wonderful movie about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What I like about it is, is they work hard to show how human Dr. King is. I mean, you get the sense as you watch this movie that Dr. King has no idea the reverence with which we hold him today. I mean, he has no idea he's a great man. He doesn't know how the story is going to end. He gets into a situation where he can't see any way out. In fact, again and again, he wants to quit. 
in the scene, you see him, he's in jail, and he's, he's there with Ralph Abernathy and a number of other people that have been demonstrating, and he's just so discouraged. He just, he's like he's ready to throw into the towel, you know, and you could understand that, this insurmountable racism that confronts him at that time, and so destructive, and he's just saying, you know what, what can we really do? And then, without any introduction or explanation, Ralph Abernathy begins to quote Jesus. Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then the mood begins to change, and they smile, and all of a sudden you realize, Dr. King is back. He's got the fire and the fight back in his belly. And I want to say this, Ralph Abernathy, this is what a good mentor will do for somebody. It's a game changer. So let's get back to our question finally. What is a mentor? Let me give you a couple quick practical ideas. Um, This might help you find a good mentor, and I really hope that you have a mentor in your life. Everybody needs a mentor. And it will also help you be a good mentor. So, But first let me say what isn't a good mentor. A good mentor never makes your decisions for you. A good mentor never fixes your problems for you. A friend of mine down in California told me just this week, he said, let me tell you what happens when friends try to fix your problem for you. Uh, he had had back surgery a couple times. He wasn't doing real well. Some of his friends called his back doctor for him, the surgeon, and said, we're really worried about our friend. Uh, he's not walking real well. We don't know if it's safe for him to drive. Well, it turns out in the state of California, a physician is required to report that information to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and so my friend can no longer drive his car. They withdrew his, uh, his permit, so he's got this brand new car and he can't drive. Thanks for helping me, you know? No, don't let your mentor fix your problems. And Elisha doesn't do that. He doesn't answer this question, what shall we do? He just points the person away from their problem to God. Well, what does a good mentor do? Well, I'd like to suggest it's the same two things that God does for this young man, presence and perspective. doesn't matter whether the person you're mentoring believes in God or not, but you can represent God in these two ways to them. You can point to God. You can embody this prayer. Oh, Lord, open her eyes that she might see through presence and perspective. What's presence mean? It means logging time, being available. Walking through life together, even the trials, sitting in the pain with them, being present. What's perspective? It's helping them to see new possibilities, helping them to see more of themselves than they can see, helping them put this crisis in the the context of a larger story, the story of God's grace. You know, I spend a lot of time in coffee shops, and my favorite conversation over here is the mentor conversation. And yes, I do eavesdrop. And I see it a lot in Seattle, and I love it. There's a mentor and a mentee, and they're talking about work, or they're talking about relationships, or sometimes faith. And a good mentor is just sitting there over the cup of coffee going, oh, tell me about that. So what was that like? Wow, that sounded really hard. And uh, and so what she's doing is she's opening space for vulnerability, for sharing, for forgiveness, for grace, for new perspectives, just being present as a person journeys through their struggles. This person's becoming an agent of God in their life, a mentor. Well, they say that Bob Tropman had a can-do approach. I read that in one of the remembrances of him, 
And anybody who knows Pete Carroll would not be the least bit surprised to know that his mentor had a can-do approach. I wonder if you saw the interview Pete Carroll gave Matt Lauer a week and a half ago. What a great interview. And Matt Lauer's kind of trap him, trying to corner him, put him in a place where he had to say it was a bad decision, that call that they made at the end of the game. And Pete Carroll wouldn't do that. <laughs> he kept saying, you know what, I'm an optimist. Many times, in many ways, that Matt Lauer asked that question of, do you think it was a bad decision? Because this is the wrong question. What I want to tell you is, yes, it's been really, really hard. He says, I'll never forget that, you know. I'll never forget it. It's just it's excruciatingly hard. But I'm an optimist, which means I'm the kind of guy who believes that no matter how hard it gets, the next thing is going to be a good thing. And I want to tell you, I don't know anything about Pete Carroll's faith, but I do know this, that a follower of Jesus Christ can say exactly the same thing. I know it's hard, but I'm just the kind of person who believes the next thing is going to be a good thing. Oh, Lord, open our eyes that we might see. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus Christ, King of heaven and earth, we bow before you who has assembled us in this hour to remind us what is true. Open our eyes, O Lord. We pray for one another. You'll help us to be the kind of people who can embody your presence, who can point towards your perspective, that helps us become and uh, people of hope and to share that gift with others. Will your Holy Spirit Make use of us this week in the lives of people around us that we might help them to see what we have seen in this hour together. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.